The podcast you're about to listen to is part of the Professional Casual Network. To find more podcasts like this, please check out professionalcasual.com. Episode 11. Last episode, we officially got past the halfway mark. It's the, yeah, it's the first episode of the second half. Exactly. Yeah. Just started the second quarter. Second what? half. Second <laughs> the third, half. The second, second quarter. You just had the halftime show. Right. You probably got snacks during it because it always sucks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't watch it for the halftime show. I hope they got a snack in between our last episode. Of this one. <laughs> for real. Otherwise, you're probably starving. Yeah, right. If you haven't, go get one now. Right. You need to feed yourself. I mean, they might be binging this later. Not That's true. There's not a better out. podcast to listen to while binging. <laughs> That's not what I meant, but I'll go. You know, let's go with it. You know. I mean, just double down. Anyway. That's number eleven. That's a crit in certain games. Yep. That's true. Get a snack. Either way, you deserve it. So you know how your gas tank, they say the second half goes a lot faster than the first? Right, the second half is smaller. This, that's not how it is with this. second half is going to be bigger. Bigger fiction energy for the second half. I don't know, man. There was a lot of fiction energy in the first half. Well, there's going to be more! I don't know if we can handle it. <laughs> Personally, I like the second half better. In the words of the great Jimmy Pop um, of the musical troupe, the Bloodhound Gang, uh, once said... Uh, the second verse is different than the first. <laughs> Truer words could not be spoken. Right. You know, I think um, the second half is much more exciting because first half is a lot of like world building, introducing yeah. characters. We're going to get some action in the second yeah. half, man. I mean, second half from literally nothing that I'm aware of because I haven't read it. <laughs> you have blood drinking robots. You have. That's all that I know is there for certain. But. <laughs> I assume that if you're starting with blood drinking robots, you know, there's there's probably a lot more to be had. Yeah. It's like the tip of the deadly iceberg. Yeah. Yep. Well, I guess the Renrecks are the tip of the deadly iceberg and the Marauders are like a layer down and we're going to get some more. There might even be a bunch of really loud water that falls all at the same time for a long time. <laughs> right. Just keeps Just falling. Constantly. It never lets up. Mm. It's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> So for this episode's uh, question I want to discuss a little bit, might be a tough one okay. for all of us. I mean, it took me like 60 minutes to figure out what my favorite holiday with it was, and I still didn't come to an answer. <laughs> right. So this one might be a little bit easier for you, actually. Okay. Uh, I like the theme of like talking about what's our favorite something, be nice and positive about stuff. So we'll start with Danny. Okay. What is your favorite book? Oh, why would you do this to me? As an English teacher, it's impossible. It's like asking a parent, it's like asking the Duggars which of their kids is their favorite. They have so many. They started making up names. They just forget their names anyway. For them. Oh, the one that starts with a J. They all start with J. That's a cop out. It's, it's very difficult. Whenever my students ask me this, I break it up into different genres for them. So, like, I have different. Favorite fiction, nonfiction, horror. Let's like, just go with favorite fiction, since that's what this podcast is all then, about. Like, graphic fiction novel, energy, not or, just fiction. Anything mm, that you can that you want to fit in there. I love Bone by Jeff Smith. 
It's classic. It's timeless. Why are you looking at me like that? Because you stole my answer. Oh, sorry. Phone's been my answer. But I also really love The Stand by Stephen King. That's like classic favorite, favorite, favorite book. I do really like The Stand as well. Yeah. So those are probably two of my favorite books. Nonfiction, I love Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. That one really like changed my life a little bit when I read it. I haven't read that, but I've heard a lot of good oh things about gosh, it. Oh my gosh, it's so it good. Actually, part of it was included on the uh, Global Regents last year, or like in one of the past years, an excerpt oh, from right. that was included talking about like apartheid in South Africa. So very interesting. So And Trevor Noah is a great writer. Mm. I enjoy that a lot. Not to completely railroad your answer and tell you that you're wrong, but <laughs> is Trevor Noah's book fiction? No, it's nonfiction. I think the question was, what was your favorite fiction book? She did segue into it. Yeah, I segued. Oh, oh, all right. She just right. wanted to talk about I segued. I can't I just talk Seguid. about one book. And my favorite play is Twelfth Night by Shakespeare. I definitely so. didn't ask that. I don't care. What's your People favorite poem? <laughs> my Last Duchess by Robert Brown. Really? Yeah, it's a poem that I teach. It used to be the one that was on the fridge, I thought. What poem? This is just to fridge? say, I ate the grapes that are in the fridge today. Oh, that's the one that I had to wrap during oh, that, a job interview. That's what it was. They had decided that they were already going to hire me, but I was on my way to the second interview. So they just asked me, like, stupid. I had to do a donkey impression because one of their big <laughs> fundraisers was donkey basketball. I did it. I was like, I want this job so bad. It was my first teaching job. So, yeah. I actually really like that. I like, had to wrap a poem. Just with it. And again, as an English teacher, I hate poetry. I really hate poetry. So, I didn't know any poetry off the top of my head. That was the only one that I knew. It was a William Carlos Williams poem. This is just to say, I ate the plums in the fridge today. I always say grapes and it's plums. Well, it's I always plums. forget mm. that. I mean, what are plums if not mm. just very large grapes that are also a different fruit? With pits I think in they're them. very different than grapes. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for that question. You're welcome. Tim, what do you got? Orconomics. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Uh, It's so good. It's probably the favorite book that I've ever read or had read to me in my car. Uh, (laughs) It's by Jay Zachary Pike. Um, It's a series. The second one is called The Dark Prophet Saga, or I I think. It's the the first book of The Dark Prophet Saga. Yeah. Um, I'm currently reading it. It is is so good. It is a fantasy satire, and... uh, I have never enjoyed a book more. Outside that, John Dies at the End and that series by David mm. Wong, I also really enjoy. That's on my to-read thing on Goodreads. Yeah, it's... I think I have that, too. The The second book in that series was This Book is Full of Spiders. Ooh, um, <laughs> um, before you give your answer, Dan, can I read the William Carlos Williams poem? I looked it up. Can I read my favorite poem quick? Yes. There once was a man from Nantucket. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta love a good limerick. It's called This Is Just a Say. It's three stanzas. It says, I've eaten the plums that were in the icebox, and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious, so sweet and so cold. That's it. Is an ice box a f- old fridge yep yeah. okay yeah i was like they used who to freezes put, like, plums they used to put giant blocks of ice in them to keep right the stuff cold yeah uh why is that famous i'm sorry because it was just a note he left for his wife on the frit on the ice box right i don't know but it was like wow this sounds nice let's publish it dude's famous they well, I mean, his name's William Carlos Williams. Obviously, he's going to be famous. Right. They could not publish the notes that I leave for you. <laughs> because it would be like, if Lily doesn't fold her laundry, I'm going to lose my entire mind. 
or something like that. All right, Dan, what's your favorite book? Uh, so usually my answer is Bone by Jeff Smith because mm-hmm. it's a friend of mine recently described it as a masterpiece in black and white. Because originally it was a black and white right. comic, and then later when Scholastic yeah. bought it, they colorized it, mm-hmm. which is, I thought they did a nice job with that. Classic. I actually took a graphic novel class, my first undergrad degree, and I wrote my term paper about Bone. I bet if I looked at it now, I'd be like, oh, this is so bad. Well, but I mean, yeah. that book is amazing. If you haven't read it, grab the brick, they call it, because it's a five-pound block of yeah. book it's in, mm. it's insane it's, it's so awesome. good though or you can get the colorized digest versions that are they're like nine volumes that the same thing yeah they're fun but since you took bone from me i can't say that really i mean your your soon to be new favorite book is orconomics right i'm working on it. I'm, I'm a little more than halfway it's, through okay I'm a surprisingly slow reader for being a writer I mean, you're not just not going to find another book that mixes both a incredible Dungeons & Dragons-esque fantasy world and the complex financial landscape of Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty great. Uh, I really, really loved uh, The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss that I've been trying to get Dane to read for like four years now. I can't get into it. It's so good. It, it's it's long. It's wordy. It's kind of like Tolkien where he takes a long time describing things, uh, but yeah. I really appreciate that he really time. gets into the culture of different peoples. He does. From I started it. I'm a ways into it, and from what I've read, he definitely spends a lot of time doing that, like world building, really getting you to There's, totally understand. Yeah. There's a difference, though, between world building and spending three pages on a branch. Well, like, right. not describe, he doesn't do descriptions like that. Yeah. Maybe Tolkien wasn't the best uh, comparison there, but like. Tolkien's names were also awful. <laughs> Brandly Bimbleblur. <laughs> oh, cool. Is that different than Brandly Bimbleblee? <laughs> uh, but Rothfuss is. He's like Tol- or, uh, Martin, where he's super slow. Like the third book of this series is supposed to be out like three years ago. Mm. And he just. He's like a perfectionist. Mm. And it's really long and involved. So, like. He has to make sure everything is absolutely perfect, and he rewrite. I think he said that he revised the first one eighty times, which is that's incredible. A lot, yeah. Like not to compare Lanning to Rothfuss because he's very very successful and it's an amazing book. I revised Lanning probably five or six times, mm-hmm. which still took a long time, but eighty times. But it now was worth it. The book's revise, amazing. Like does Kubrick that mean that level. he goes? through the entire thing or does he just like i fix this thing on page 47 so that's one i don't when i think when i revise i go through the entire book read the whole thing change whatever is necessary or have you know or if a beta reader reads it and goes through it and i change things based on that that would be a revision Hmm. yeah so i would highly recommend the name of the wind Uh, the sequel is the wise man's fear and there's a companion book that's not really part of the series, but it's like a novella that's all about one of the characters you meet called The Slow Regard of Silent Things, I believe. Great summer books, I think. One I read last summer is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Um, and mm. that is really, you know, in line with what's happening right now. It's about um, this girl and she is at a party and... The party gets broken up by police. So she and this guy that she had kind of grown up with, they get into a car to like drive away. They get pulled over. 
cop shoots the driver and then the community just like erupts in like Hmm. riots and stuff like that. And she is in a really tough spot because she witnessed it and like her friend didn't have any kind of weapon or whatever. The police officer thought his hairbrush was a gun. Um, So she has to testify. But there, you know, it's um, culturally it's very against, um, you know, what her family had been taught. So that's The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And the other one, which is just... I love anything that involves um, like serial killer and serial killers and true crime. So the other one is called My Sister, the Serial Killer. And this is by, I'm going to mispronounce this name terribly and I'm really sorry, but it's Oyin Khan Brithwaite. So the first name is O-Y-I-N-K-A-N and the last name is B-R-A-I-T-H-W-A-I-T-E. Pretty sure that's pronounced Bobcat Goldwaite. <laughs> Whatever. Um <laughs> And that one was great. It was a super quick read. I think it only took me a day or two to read it. Uh, But it's literally about this woman in Africa, and she's a nurse, and her sister is beautiful and a social media influencer, and she just keeps killing her boyfriends. So the sister who's a nurse has to help her, like, cover up the murders and stuff. And it was really interesting because, again, it's set in Africa. So that was a fun one to read. All right, well, we're gonna... Now we can start. Sorry. Can I jump into the chapter now? I well, I just want to say we're going to jump into the chapter. Okay, go. Do I get chapter to interrupt 11. Dan and make him start over a whole bunch of times because you're hosting this one instead of doing it to Denny? How to... How to... Chapter 11, Recollection. The white blade flashed across again and again. Orcs were cut down like so much wheat by a young man in white and green robes. A red-furred wolf primal, a lupin, launched himself into the gray-green monsters, clawing and biting. A stout figure smashed the orcs out of his way with mighty punches, while a svelte young woman flew among the figures, flinging the enemies away with gusts of wind. Behind them all was a tall green figure that was not an orc. The Garak, a lizard primal, thrust with his spear, goring orcs and goblins wherever they were trying to outflank his friends. Orc blood flowed like water. The five moved ahead like the tip of a spear. Very few orcs were left. That was when the leader showed himself. A massive example of his species strode out from deeper in the citadel. His hulking frame barely fit through the doorway. The spines on his head were like short swords. His hands were the size of the dwarf that rushed forward. The dwarf's gauntleted fist smashing the last orc out of his way. Oi! This one's mine! The dwarf shouted. The massive brute orc laughed, a deep guttural chuckle, (laughs) and hefted a mighty war spear in both hands. The rest of the combatants backed off, knowing a challenge had been made and accepted. The brute set itself into defensive stance and readied his spear for the charge of the dwarf. The small fighter was an intimidating sight, even for his stature. His flaming red hair was waxed up into a mohawk, and his burly arms were adorned with golden gauntlets. His entire body was covered in dark green orc blood, only his bright blue eyes shining in the half-light of the ruined stone room were not. The dwarf reached out to his sides with both hands as he ran. The brute cocked his head to the side, not quite sure what the gesture meant. The dwarf clapped his hands together, and the brute learned what it was about when two pieces of stone crashed into the sides of his head after being wrenched from the wall. The dwarf smiled and plowed his fists into the distracted orc brute. Fist pummeled the orc's face again and again. Its green-gray skin bruised and teeth snapped off in every direction. Finally, the orc came to its senses between a flurry of blows, grabbed the dwarf with one massive hand, and flung the figure off of it. The dwarf sailed across the room and barreled into a group of orcs watching. The melee erupted back into action immediately. The orc brute got back to its feet slowly, steps unsteady after the beating to its head. It grabbed the offered spear it had dropped from a smaller orc and strode into the battle. 
before it could take three paces, it was blocked by a young man brandishing a white blade. The sword the man held gleamed with power. Fire licked off the tip, lighting the face of the man holding it. The brute laughed again. This challenger was taller than the last, but spindly compared to the dwarf. At least this one was sensible enough to wear some armor, the brute thought. A fat lot of good'll do against my spear. The brute lunged forward, not wanting to get taken off guard again, but the man was faster than the orc expected. The blade easily parried the spear thrust and lashed back out at the brute. The orc stepped back just in time to keep its guts inside. The blade shore through the armor plates with ease, and the glow of fire on the sword intensified. The orc knew he had to end this quickly. It swung its spear in a great arc, trying to match the man for speed, but there was no contest. The man ducked and rolled under the spear, coming up next to the orc, slashing his sword. The orc howled in pain as the spear clattered to the stone floor, along with its arm. The brute swung with its other fists at the human, but missed dreadfully as the young man ducked again. The orc was bewildered at its height and size advantage was not an advantage in this fight. It lashed out with a kick in frustration and managed to catch the human in the chest as he brought his sword up again. The force of the blow knocked the man off his feet and sent the full sword clattering to the floor. Like a whip, the human drew a smaller blade that shone with the same white light as the sword. The orc brute stepped in to finish the puny opponent. The orc attempted another vicious kick, as that had worked so well before. The human was on his knees and stabbed with a dagger, spearing up into the brute's foot. The human spoke a quick incantation and the orc's foot lit on fire. The man withdrew the dagger and the orc spurt fiery blood. Across the room in the continuing melee, a young priestess saw the sword. Its fire was out, but it was unmistakable. The long, curved white blade shone starkly in the dark room. The young woman dodged the swipe of an orc's cleaver and swung her own weapon, a bladed fan, at the sword, sending a sailing back across the room towards the young man with a gust of wind. The man was battered, but on his feet, and he deftly caught the sword and nodded his thanks. Armed with two flaming weapons now, the young warrior made short work of the brute. He put it down mercifully, he put it down mercifully, stabbing his katana through the orc's chest plate as if it wasn't there. The young man looked around and judged that his friends had everything taken care of here. He continued through the doorway. The brute emerged from moments before. The warrior sheathed his dagger, the blade extinguishing its flame as it slid home. He gripped his sword two-handed and prepared himself for this final battle. Ah, young Ronin, you have come. A deep, silky voice said from the gloom beyond. I thought it might be you. I hope by now you know you have no chance. You are not the destined one. I don't care about destinies or prophecies. I'm ending this war. Your head is mine. He gripped the ancient sword tighter and raised it to an attack stance, prepared to give all to slay Scorn, the Goblin King. Wanderer stood over the ruins, his sword held in a two-handed grip, raised in an attack stance as he surveyed the battle for a moment to decide where he was needed most. He quickly assessed the fight, saw that he could turn the tide and allow the humans victory. It wouldn't be easy, but it was doable. The Wanderer never got into a fight unless he knew he would win. He was a bit surprised to see a large minotaur fighting among the humans. The primals had... The primal had bits of strange armor that didn't look metal, and swung a weapon that incapacitated the bots wherever he hit them. Ronin was quietly impressed and deemed the minotaur safe for the moment. He scanned about and saw a void wielder in trouble. A tall, gaunt human attempted to fight the bots with his void magics, but his abilities seemed to be failing him. The bots shrugged off his spells or magic fizzled out near the bots. The wanderer wondered why these magics would not work on these machines. He decided this man needed his help most and leapt off the small knoll he was perched on and ran towards the fighting. Just as he reached the ruins, he saw two young girls come in from the other side. They stopped short of the carnage and then sprinted in to help as well. The wanderer saw something that shocked him to his core, and his run faltered. The two girls ran, 
but the shorter one with lighter skin was tackled to the ground by a bot, her blade coming up just in time to keep her head attached to her shoulders. The wanderer changed his course to help the girl. Something about her, something she had, struck him. He made sure... He had to make sure she was okay. Lainey closed her eyes and tried to focus on what was happening around her. If these were going to be her last moments, she was not going to spend them begging or mewling like a child. She heard the screams of those around her, the shouts and clanging of battle. She heard the wet squelch of a blade entering someone's body violently. She also heard the hoofbeats and grunts of her best friend far off. She felt the cold weight of the marauder on top of her, the heat of the fires that had sprung up around the ruins. She felt her heartbeat, surprisingly steady, beating fast from her run, but steady as she calmed herself. She felt the longing of uncertainty. What about Cass? Was she going to be okay? She felt sad about the loss of any relationship they could have had. Lainey knew something was going on between them. She just wasn't sure what it was yet. She had never had feelings for anyone before. Nothing like how she felt about Cass. But how did she feel about Cass? Lainey wasn't sure. Cass was a great friend, but did Lainey feel more than that about her? Could she? They were practically from different worlds. There was a lot they could teach each other. Tears slid down Lainey's face at the realization that she would never be able to find out the answers to these questions. Yes, a bit of emotion makes it all the sweet. Lainey opened her eyes, surprised at the ceasing of the bot's taunting. The bot was reared back, the blood falling back on the Lainey's face. The machine was making a horrible screeching sound, but was cut short as the white blade slashed across Lainey's field of vision, separating the bot's head from its body. Lainey looked above her and blinked, trying to make sense of what she saw above her. A man stood over her, a tanned, wrinkled hand outstretched to help her. The man was an imposing sight, not because of his build or stature. He was a slight man, but because of his obvious experience. He had long black beard and hair streaked with silver. His almond-shaped eyes were deep-set into his face, steel-gray in color. They were clear, but haggard, ringed with dark circles. His armor was of a design Laney had never seen before. He wore green lacquered plates covered in steel studs over a dingy robe, tattered and dirty. His arms and legs were wrapped in bandages and strips of cloth. Curiously, his feet were bare. The old man looked at his hand and back to Lanny, raising an eyebrow. It's all right, kid. We're on the same side. He added in a slight smile to help his case. Lanny took his hand and hauled her up. His grip was like iron. The muscles in his arms were not the muscles of an old man. Lanny came to her feet easily, reaching the old man's shoulders. Lanny nodded her thanks and quickly looked around the ground, desperate for a tonto. Lost something? Lanny turned and saw him holding the dagger. The blade of it seemed to glow white in his hand. She noticed quickly that the hilt of the dagger matched the hilt of the sword in the man's other hand. Who are you? The Wanderer, was all he answered flatly and flipped her the tanto, which she caught with ease. Two again scanned the battle. The Wanderer took off almost immediately to help Cass and Dasta. Two were now surrounded by three bots. Both Cass and Dasta were bleeding from multiple cuts. The two were back to back trying to fend off the bots, but the rotters were pressing in and the two humans were slowing. Only having one arm to fight with didn't help Cass, and she looked terrified. Lainey followed, ready to help her friend. She needn't have bothered. The wanderer leapt ahead, slashed his sword, cleaned through one of the bots' midsections, splitting it in half. The other two bots turned to the new attacker, and Cass jumped at the opportunity. Her sword wasn't made of the same stuff as the wanderer's blade, though, and her slash did not cleave through the bot's arm, merely rebuffed it. Dasta helped, attacking the same bot, and the two of them forced it back. Lainey caught up to the wanderer and stabbed her tonto into the head of the bot on the ground. Even though the old warrior had sheared it in half, the torso was still moving, still trying to kill. Lainey's blade piercing the splintered helmet of the bot ended that. 
Wanderer squared off against the last marauder of the group. The bot showed no fear and slashed at the old man. The white blade came up blazingly fast to parry, but sheared right through the blade of the bot. The Wanderer followed up with a backslash that removed the rest of the arm. Lainey tried to step up to help, but she realized it still wasn't needed. The old warrior stepped into the guard of the bot and finished it off with one more swing of his mighty sword, sending the helmeted head spinning away into the ruins. Daston and Cass were just climbing to their feet, having tackled their bot to the ground and stabbed its face until it stopped moving. The four of them looked at each other and took deep breaths. The wanderer was clearly winded, his efforts so far wearing him down. Dasta looked exhausted and furious. Cass was breathing heavily, but free from any new serious injuries. Laney felt like she wasn't doing enough. The quartet fanned out into the fight, lending help where they could. Laney stayed close to Cass, noting the wound she received from the Renrek had reopened and blood was flowing freely from her shoulder. The two found Brutus, who was again fighting to protect a few unarmed caravanners. Brutus had found the largest bot, a menace nearly eight feet tall. Around its shoulders were bundles of fur, and its helm face was ringed with spikes. Brutus was having a difficult time. The spot was faster and smarter than the rest. Its eye lights glowed with unrepressed hatred. I have existed for nearly a millennium. I will not be bested by some beast. Brutus merely grunted in response, and his baton parried another swing of the bot's sword arm. Ignore me at your peril, Primal. Matagalawega will be the end of you and your kind. Again, Brutus only gritted his teeth and smashed his shot baton into the Matagalawega's leg. The power of the baton stunned the leg for only a moment, but it was enough for Delaney to jump in to help. She brought her tonto down with all her considerable strength, stabbing into Matagalawega's leg. Very near where Brutus had just made contact, the tonto slid easily into the metal of the machine a bit deep, severing something important. At the same time, Cass clove her sword into the midsection of the bot, finding some wires and tubes to sever, forcing the thing to leak oils. Matagalawega flailed about, forcing the three to back away as it screeched some inhuman wail. It bounded away, realizing it was outmatched by the trio. Brutus clapped his hand on Lanny's shoulder. Well done, Lanny. Cass. He nodded to both of them. That one must be the leader. Let's not let it get away. Lanny nodded in agreement, and the three took off in the direction the machine had gone into the gloom and smoke of the ruins. They heard a new scream, not one of fear, but of pain. They made their way around a ruined wagon and found Madagalawega. Unfortunately, they found Orthel, too. The big bot had Orthel held in one oversized taloned hand. The slim man was held close to the marauder's faceplate, blood pouring from Orthel's neck into Madagalawega's open face. Avoid wielder. These are some of the best-tasting humans. His magic powers are a gift. The evil bot looked over at the three and dropped the mage to the ground. Ortho fell in a heap, his pale frame gone gray from lack of blood. Maragalawega stalked towards the three, its right leg no longer injured, its midsection no longer leaking fluids. How is it healed? Oh, rotters use blood to power the magics that make them work. Cass answered quickly. The three crouched into defensive stances, ready for the large machine to come at them again. Apparently it heals them too, but I've never heard of that happening before. Poor Orthol. Lainey did not get a chance to ask any more questions before Madagalawega was among them. Sword arm slashed left, right, up, down. The weapons of the trio blocked and parried frantically. Even with a three against one, Brutus took a deep cut across the side of his face, forcing him to step back. The blow caused Brutus to drop his shock baton, and Madagalawega wasted no time in stomping the weapon with his clawed metal feet, smashing it to bits. Lainey and Cass took the brunt of the attacks while Brutus recovered, his face bleeding profusely. Brutus had a hand on his face, trying to staunch the bleeding. Madagalawega redoubled its efforts, pushing the girls back step by step. Suddenly, one of Lainey's feet was wet. Lainey Risco looked back and down and behind her to see what she had stepped into. Without realizing it, Madagalawega had backed the two up to the edge of the river. 
The ruins were a dozen meters away. Brutus was on one knee halfway between them and the remains of the buildings. Lainey felt her heartbeat quicken even more. She made eye contact with Cass, and the two knew what they had to do. Lainey began to crouch down to leap into the river. A strong current would sweep the two small girls away, but Lainey favored her chances of going over the falls compared to fighting this monstrosity. Just before Lainey took the leap, the water swept up to greet her instead. A wave of water appeared, launching itself up and over the two girls, crashing back down into Madagaluega. The water pulled the marauder back towards the river, forcing Cass and Lainey to leap to the side, landing in a heap together, watching Madagaluega struggle against the pull of the water. What manner of magic is this? Madagaluega cried out, its voice showing that even a robot could experience fear. No magic, a gift from the nymphs. Cass, Lanny, and Madagalawega looked around for the source of the voice, and all were surprised to see the wanderer standing a few meters away in a strange stance, with his legs wide, his arms outstretched towards the river. I know who you are, wanderer. Madagalawega yelled as it was dragged into the rushing current. I will find you, all of you. Ronan the Ancient One will be my greatest trophy. I will taste your blood, Ronan. I will taste your blood. And the robot was gone over the edge of the falls. Well, you said there was going to be action. Oh, yes. If there's one thing about me, it's that I don't lie. Nor do I exaggerate. Never. (laughs) I was going to say the same thing about Madagaluega, and I was like, oh, no, that means Rona's blood will be tasted. Right. That's not good. Yeah. (laughs) Some tasty stuff. Is Ortho dead? Yeah. But... She drained him. What? He had void magic. He's yeah. like a little Capri Sun pouch. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even get that like callous about it. Well, I mean, well wow. unfortunately, his voice magics didn't work on the bots because Ronan yeah. was going to help him at first, but then he realized Lainey needed more help. So I guess in my own head canon and in the canon of the fan fiction that I read um, of this book, <laughs> um, I had made an assumption that void magic and blood magic were kind of like one and the same but apparently mm. that's not the case or is it the case and that's why the void magic didn't work on a being oh. made of pure blood magic like okay. how uh cyclops and havoc's powers don't work on each other because they're brothers yes is that true yeah oh cool we're seeing them like blast each other with like cyclops unleashes his optic blast and havoc does a thing with his fist forward and they just hit each other and nothing happens i don't know at least in in recent years that i've ever seen seen them exist together in the same comic same he was in space for a long time havoc was but yeah yeah, that that was established in like the 80s or 90s that siblings powers don't really affect each other or at least theirs don't for the listeners who don't know what we're talking about it's an x-men thing oh yeah it's a comic book i felt like that was obvious you know (laughs) everyone knows who cyclops is if you're listening to this you're probably at least a little bit of a nerd so hopefully you know a little bit about x-men because they're the best thing assume people's nerdiness levels that's true if you're not if you haven't read x-men yet catch up marvel limited is pretty cheap catch up they've been around for like 60 years get it together (laughs) the the cost per reading a comic if you read every comic on marvel digital comics unlimited is like one ten thousandth of a penny per issue yeah right it's crazy they do have a lot of stuff but we're not talking about x-men right now we're talking about leaning the girl without fear you want to hear us talk about x-men right? let's do our other podcast true um very quick thing that you'll probably cut out um <laughs> there's a there's a, a tiktok meme going on around where people take 
like a bottle of rum or a bunch of juice and put it in like a big freezer bag when while the whole time they're doing it they're just whispering big capri sun big capri sun big capri sun <laughs> and then they they you know zip it up and then stab a really big straw on it well while still saying big capri sun big capri sun that's weird i yeah. love it <laughs> i really enjoyed it so what you guys think of that pretty much all action chapter so oh, much what, action what did you think of the first flashback we had um the fiction energy was actually huge in this like easily the biggest yeah overwhelming yeah Yeah. that's a good way to put it actually um flashback is cool ronan uh being younger you know i assumed that that had happened that he was younger at one point yes but we had had not seen anything in the story this far uh confirming that true um he also had like a dwarf friend yeah and also um a really cool goblin guy that he talked to (laughs) scorn the goblin king yeah Great voice on him, by the way. Four scorn and seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was more than seven, but we'll get into that later. Oh. Uh, but yeah, so we find out that Ronan was part of like his own like adventuring party kind of thing. There was a red lupin, a lupine, wolf primal. There was a green garak, a lizard primal. There yeah. was, they said she, it said they, me, said it was a priestess of some kind who could, she made wind throw his sword across, which we've seen Ronan do as well. Right. And again, we have action in this chapter, but also still more of that really important, like, world building. Super important question. Oh. The dagger that Ronan stabs that foot with? Yeah. Would you describe that dagger as a tanto? A part of his daisho, yeah. Would you describe it in a similar fashion as you would describe maybe the tanto that Lenny has been carrying around? I would describe it that with. way, yeah. Oh, okay. Ooh. Is it is, when she when he saved her, she it says that she notices that the hilt of her tanto mm-hmm. is the same as the hilt of his katana. And yeah. she totally recognizes the tanto. And he gives it back. Right. Yeah. So ah, I have so many questions. <laughs> does he know her? Does he know she had it? Did he lose it previously? Did he sell it to someone? Why does she have it now? Why is he okay with her having it now? Maybe he <laughs> lost it in a gambling match. Did he lose it in a gambling match? A game of sabat. Did Is he a huge fan of the talk show that Lanny's parents are on and he sent it in because he uh, <laughs> sent them fan mail? Mm. Well, you know what? We're not going to get there just yet, but the next episode... Chapter 12 is called Revelations. So it might answer some of those questions. Are there bug primals? I don't know why it's taken me this long to ask this question, but are are there bee primals? Are there wasp primals? Are there hornet primals? (laughs) There are bug primals. There are primals based on any kind of animal, pretty much. So far... Are there echidna primals? Somewhere, probably, yeah. They lay eggs. Are there blobfish primals? Ugh. I'm going to go probably no, but maybe now I'm picturing a blobfish primal and I want to write one yeah. at some point. That'll it's like a slimy Majin Buu or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, what does everybody eat? How do you know it's a not a deer primal? It's just a deer. You know what I mean? Right. That was something I've just, that Dana and I actually talked about when we're talking about like the, the world building of this is like, so like carnivore based primals, like the looping. Lupin. I never decide how I say that. I don't know why I keep going back and forth between Lupin and Lupine. Yeah. Uh, you do you. It yeah. always sounds wrong. You right. know what Every I mean? Like, regardless of which like one it. you say. Um, the, the wolf primals. They look kind of like werewolves, basically. Like, they eat meat, of course. So, like, do they just eat animals? Or do they, like, eat other primals? Or humans? Or what? Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
Well, there's still animals in the world, too. Like, there's wolves, and there are wolf primals. That's kind of part of the the creation story as well. Right. Like, that's that's on purpose. So can wolf primals and just regular old wolves talk to each other? No. Oh, they can't? No. Can they release pheromones to talk to each other? Well, I mean, wolves, wolves don't talk. They have their way to communicate that's with what, Yeah, that's wolves, what I mean, like... Like they're not, in, you know, they're not self-aware. They're not intelligent like that. Gotcha. Prim- all primals are. Okay. Are there centipede primals? Sure. Are there human centipede primals? <gasps> I think I asked if there are human primals. <laughs> no. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I'm half man, half man. <laughs> <laughs> there is one single half man, half bear, half pig running around. Oh. Man bear, man bear pig. <laughs> It sounds super serial, guys. Right. Uh, in the the, art, the tabletop RPG I'm developing for the world, you can play as a half dwarf. Okay. Um, which are sometimes called halflings, but oh. they hate that name. Mm. Yeah. They hate they they'd rather you call them a half dwarf. A halfling is like super derogatory. In that world, is the other half of the half dwarf or the half elf? Um, can it be orcs? It's, no, it's humans. Oh, why though? Because <laughs> uh, the the time the the RPG takes place way before this time. Oh, okay. Actually, which we'll learn more about how that makes sense as we go through the story. Cool. So, Tim, how did you feel about having way more orcs in this chapter? I mean, there was. A lot more orcs in this chapter. I feel a lot of ways about it. It it brings up old feelings of happiness that Jork made it out alive. Why are you looking at me like that? (laughs) Just waiting for what else to say next. No, that was I just wanted you to not refute that, which means it's true. Oh, I was no, I was just. Oh, gotcha. No, no, it's I, I like orcs a lot. I like goblins are okay, but orcs are really where it's at. So I was happy with it. You got to voice like the big bad orc though. Yeah. I thought it was a goblin. They call him the Goblin King because uh, goblin, like goblins and orcs, are kind of the same thing. Orcs are just bigger, in a way. Um, the next chapter we'll get a little bit more information about that as well. They call him the Goblin King, just because he leads the armies of the orcs and goblins. Gotcha. Okay. And he's a real big bad guy. But you might be thinking, wait, what armies of orcs and goblins? I was actually thinking. Like, what armies of orcs and goblins? <laughs> well, I'll have to hear more later. Is this why people keep orcs in the dregs and stuff like that and goblins and their voidborns is because there was an army and they used to be bad, but now they're okay? Could be. I think that they were probably just misunderstood before. Could be. Wild. What do you guys think of Ronan? I don't appreciate that he killed an orc, <laughs> especially an orc king. He didn't kill an orc king. He killed an orc brute. I don't like that he stabbed an orc in the foot. And then set it on fire. Yeah. Super rude. Right? Like, insult to injury. Right. right, So we've seen him manipulate wind. We've seen him manipulate fire. He did it to heal himself. And then we saw him in the flashback. And then we saw him manipulate water. Water, yeah. But he said that wasn't magic. It was a gift from the nymphs. Right. Oh. I mean... Is he a nymph? No. Oh. I'll tell you no. We'll, we'll learn more later. But you better chapter twelve, like you said, it's called Revelations. You better reveal some stuff. It doesn't reveal so, everything, of course. But what's the point then? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm excited. Um, is there a bee primal in this book? 
No. Is there a B primal in the next book? That what I have written of Can the next book. Can there be a B primal in the next book? What I have written of and the next book. And a wasp primal. There is... And a hornet primal. <laughs> And a centipede primal. Wow. I don't like centipedes. I think they're gross. But I think there should be a centipede primal because um, you should have gross people too. Hang on, hold up. Centipede primal. Human sized? I think it's. Or a... centipede sized? Think... With like half human body. In my head, it's literally just a regular person from the neck down and then it's just an entire centipede it's coiled so up on the top yeah. so creepy <laughs> yep for me top half is always centipede yeah. why that's the worst uh, the half worst to be thing centipede is that centipedes have those huge mandibles usually mm-hmm. so it had oh, like this God. giant crunchy mouth crunch was well, like a millipede that's the biological kind of cute mm, false ish none of that stuff I mean stuff way better than cute. a centipede oh, centipedes God. are mean usually they're all just icky icky sure are centipedes really mean Centipedes are often much more aggressive because they're predators, typically. Like, dude, and you're millipedes a bug. Like, get really. out of here with that. You know what I mean? I mean they're not a bug, but okay. You're an insect. They're a cephalopod. Not an insect. What is it then? Insects have six legs. I don't. Okay, science teacher. They're a different kind of arthropod. Like a spider is a different kind of arthropod. They're an arachnid, but centipedes are something else. Literally, even worse. Are scorpions arachnids? Scorpions, yes. Scorpions. scorpions. I believe so, because they have six legs and then two pincer arms. Or, can we call it a scorpoin? And it sounds kind of like piggy. Scorpoin. <laughs> sounds like piggy? Like oing, like oing, oing, oh. oing. Yeah. I didn't get so that So it's just all. a scorpion with a pig nose? Book two yeah. of Lanny is going to have some wild primals, some let me tell you. weird stuff in there. Back to Danny's thing about... Um, human-sized centipede or centipede-sized <laughs> human. Um, now I'm thinking of, like, how centipede-sized humans, like, running around around your stuff and being like, eh, it's gross! And like, <laughs> one time I was in a basement and a house centipede crawled across the floor and then, like, up my leg and was going up my chest, what? like, at me. And I, like, flipped out and then yeah. you lose it and then you have no idea where it is or if it's on you. But it's really funny to think of, like, just a little, like, dude... <laughs> Like running Ant-Man. across the floor really fast and climbing up your leg and going at you. Well, no, why? But I, I imagine those things. the little human legs—they're wearing khakis, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, the puka shell necklace, <laughs> <laughs> saying hi in three different ways. Hey, hi, hello. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Welcome to my nightmares. <laughs> Before we get any more disturbing, oh I think we're going to say, I think we gotta check go. out episode 12 when it comes out in two weeks. Or if you're listening to it later, then just keep if you're binging, letting it roll. Get another snack. Yeah. Don't yeah please don't forget train. to eat between episodes. Choo-choo. Only eat snacks between now and the next time you listen to an episode. Yep. Your life will change. Snacktastic. For the better? No. Not the worst. Probably not. But... Yeah. Hey, uh, big old thanks to our friends down at Bluth's Frozen Banana Stand. And don't forget, there's always money in the banana stand. All right, so let's see. Rock over Houston, rock on Bangkok. The few, the proud, the finger looking good.
Thanks so much for listening. Why don't you go and check out all the other great shows that the Professional Casual Network has to offer, including season one of The Space Between Presents I Saw a Tiger, which follows the Netflix smash series Tiger King and details the acid-washed antics of Joe Exotic, Carol Baskin, Jeff Lowe, as well as others. This season, we're taking a deep, dark dive into the four-part Netflix docuseries Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. A grim podcast of Perilous Adventure is the Professional Casual Network's Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Actual Play podcast. We're playing through The Enemy Within, which is widely considered one of the best campaigns of any RPG. Join Dan as the GM, as Danny, Tim, Alexander P. Nelson, and JB try to survive the perils of the old world. And if you needed more deep dives, also check out The Space Between, which is a discussion and review of the best games, comics, and nerd movies of today and yesteryear. We also have Elite Eight Showdown, with high-octane host Big Chuck and his research team. Join him while he financially ruins his partner Tim and completes an eight-team tournament bracket that could be about anything and everything. Lastly, we have Professionally Asked, Casually Answered, a totally real, totally fake advice show where we take questions and topics from you, our listeners, and do our best not to completely ruin your lives. Danny, where could people follow us or ask us questions for Professionally Asked, Casually Answered? I'm so glad you asked that, Tim. You can go ahead and email us questions. Our email address is theprofessionalcasual at gmail.com. You can also follow us and message us on Instagram at theprofessionalcasual. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash professionalcasual. Twitter, we're at top tier casual. Our website is theprofessionalcasual.com. On Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash professionalcasual. And you can also check out Lindsay's Instagram at lindsayfphotography, where you can check out all of her great photos of abandoned places and events. What are some other things that people could find on our Patreon, Danny? They can find Sarah's doodles. They can find different vlogs. They can find lots of polls. I know Big Chuck's got a ton of stuff up there. It's all just a wild time. Extra bonus content, all of those things.